We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And last night, we had a couple of series end that I think we all thought were kind of inevitable in their conclusion, but were interesting nonetheless. And and then we have a trio of Game 6s tonight, of which three road teams have the chance to close out the series. And so between last night and then what's coming up tonight, we're going to hopefully uh, hit on all of that. D, the first place I'd like to start is the Nuggets Warriors series. The Nuggets have been without their second and third best players or offensive players at the very least for the entirety of the season in Murray's case and most of the season in Porter's case. But I thought that their season at least died an honorable death last night. They fought hard. I've been so zeroed in on the attribute of strength during these playoffs that they're a team that that was kind of how they made Golden State sweat a little bit was by being bigger and more physical than them. But ultimately, their talent won out. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about Nikola Jokic because we're probably not going to talk about him too much again for the rest of these playoffs since they're eliminated. I thought he was tremendous in that series. And I'd just love to hear your perspective of how that series ended. Yeah, I thought Jokic played exceptional. He's an impossible player. I was trying to think of adjectives to describe him last night, and I just sort of stumbled onto impossible because he, in a lot of ways, doesn't make sense. He is a throwback player in a lot of ways who was given... Do you remember the Back to the Future movies where... What's his face? The villain dude. I forgot his name. Biff. Uh Biff was given that sports almanac. Right. And and so he had all those results and he could bet on all of the games. And he was like, oh, like I've got the key basically to the future right, right here in my hands. And that's sort of how I envision Jokic. Right. He is this massive (laughs) giant human being, a classic center in so many ways. But he was almost transported back like and, and given given this idea of what the modern game was going to look like. And so 
incorporated all of these tools into his game where it's just like, ah, yes, I've got all of the secrets of the future right here in my game. And and, and so he is this combination of of brute strength and short area and small area agility. And he's got wonderful hand-eye coordination and great touch all the way out to the three-point line. And he reads the game so well. Like the comments that he and Draymond were sort of exchanging these basketball love letters to each other, uh, sort of admiring each other's games. And it's because they very much are built from the same sort of piece of marble, right? Like they- They're both geniuses, yeah. Yeah, and the way that they see the game and the way that they are consistently a step ahead of their opponents. And they're obviously not similar players, really, right? But but Jokic is the type of guy who he is a classic, like, franchise tentpole. He is the guy that you can build everything around um, in the same way that you can, like, a LeBron James or a Giannis, right? Like, Jokic will never be the defensive player that some of these other top top guys are but he has enough ability defensively that you can say well because you're seven feet tall and a massive human being we could at least scheme for you in ways where we can leverage those strengths and you can anchor a defense that's gonna be in the top half of the league and with him being an offense unto himself he is just one of the more potent players that I think we've seen maybe in the last 10 or 15 years and is going to go down to me as an all-time great. The first point of, about Jokic is that, of course, he's incredible and he's made a massive leap from when the Lakers played him in the 1920 playoffs. And they did as well on him. And I think they had the personnel that is best equipped to do well on him as anybody has done since. And he's also gone up a level in confidence not necessarily skill that's sort of always been there, but just in the the aggressiveness to attack, I think. And, and that's, to me, what stood out most about his game this season, where he really realized how good he is, uh, especially on the offensive side of the court. So in the series against the Lakers, five games, and you can just compare it. It's five games. The minutes were similar to this year against the Warriors. But, you know, as Pete alluded to, just much different size, right, from that Laker team where they started out with, either JaVale McGee or eventually Dwight Howard on him. Anthony Davis spent a considerable amount of time on him. LeBron James came over to help. And then the guards that were helping down in him were Alex Caruso or Danny Green, like just ideal personnel to deal with somebody Mm -hmm. like that. And they held Jokic to 21.8 points on still efficient shooting because he's going to shoot efficiently on 54% from the field. But his rebounds, 7.2, his assists, 5.0. So now fast forward to this year, and the numbers are like ridiculous, even in this Warriors series, which basically mirrored his numbers all season. But 31 points, 13.2 rebounds, 6 assists. Now his turnovers were way up, 4.8 assists, and I think that goes to show you just how much he had to have the basketball yeah. on that team versus Jamal Murray had the ball you know, for a decent amount of the series against the Lakers, and, and that you know sort of makes them a more balanced team. And so Jokic has... 100% made massive gains to the point where you're going to have to you're going to have to find a way to deal with him if you're going to just in the Western Conference I think for the next X amount of years he clearly just didn't have close to enough help this year and so they were never the real threat they were they were one of the worst teams 
outside of Jokic in the postseason. My question, though, in the same sense of moving forward is all of the defensive metrics I thought this year were ridiculous is too strong of a word, but Jokic was up there in defensive metrics. And to me, Pete, it has much more to do with sort of on off and what they had behind him and how frequently they were scoring when he was in there and therefore could set their defense and teams not specifically like and so that. I get how those made his numbers look pretty decent defensively, but we watched what the Warriors did to him still and what good teams could do to him where he is vulnerable. And if he's your five defensively and you don't really get the good rim protection and you can have him move his feet, even in a similar way that you have, you can do to go bear like that to me remains an area that I think teams are going to attack. And I'm very curious how you guys would break that down as to what Jokic's future is going to be with that defensive, which to me is still vulnerability, even if the numbers said otherwise in the regular season. No, I think you make a a fantastic argument there. And I think that Jokic being up that high in the defensive metrics is more reflective of where defensive metrics are capable of quantifying at this point. I think we're getting there for sure, but I think that there are some holes in it. And there's also a difference between regular season basketball and NBA or and, and playoff basketball with respect to how you game plan for unusual players. Like Darius was talking about how Jokic is impossible. I don't know if you remember you guys remember this, but Frank, uh Frank Vogel mentioned during the season that Jokic is the most difficult player to game plan for. We were going to play them. I I forget if it was a home game or a road game, but we had a practice on a day where we probably normally wouldn't have based on other similar circumstances during the season. And, and Vogel said we had this practice and that was the practice where he made that comment. And so, Vogel or so Jokic enjoys a certain degree of benefit from his unconventionality that when you're game plan when you're game planning just for the nuggets you can attack certain things on the perimeter and the warriors are able to do that in ways that other teams are not I I think about like what do you put around Jokic because he's so dominant that like Mike, that whole dynamic's always going to be there and he's going to be attackable to some degree on the perimeter always. And so what do you put around him? We talk about like when we, uh, what do we put around LeBron and AD? I think that like an athletic defensive four is somebody that's really uh, important for them. And Aaron Gordon fills that role, right? But they, uh, in the absence of a Michael Porter Jr. and a Jamal Murray, they just can't really carry the day uh, on the offensive end. And so your point about how you're attacking a set defense and when Jokic is on the floor much more frequently, it really rings true. I think that that is one of the bigger factors that go into the the plus minus and on off numbers rather than Yo- and Jokic has gotten better on defense, but I think that when you watch the games, there is some degree of like, eh, he can't do that. He can't, you know, stick with the small, quick guys on the perimeter. Steph stepped into a couple of pull uh, of threes against the drop coverage where Jokic was a little bit late in closing out. That's always going to be there to some extent, D. But I think that, I mean, obviously he provides so much in so many other areas and is good enough defensively. But it is an interesting question of like, does that put a ceiling on how far you can go when you can keep kind of targeting that as wonderful as he is. Let's take a quick break. We come back to you. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. So those are all great points, of course. My whole thing is, is you can never be everything yes. like as a single player right like maybe the greatest players ever okay lebron you can be everything but even then he wasn't a jump shooter necessarily he's more of that now right but there were still things that you're just like okay out of all of these things that we're going to try to say this is your weakest at Let's poke at that as much as we can in in a playoff series. Almost every player in the history of the game has had something that guys would go at and target. And so I often think about, okay, well, how many teams or how many individual players are capable of taking advantage of that specific thing? And the Warriors, as much as their lack of size and, um, and maybe inability to defend around the paint outside of Draymond might have um, helped Jokic put up even bigger numbers. Their ability to attack him in very specific ways defensively probably even things out. The one point I wanted to make about metrics is that defensive rebounding is still such a key component of almost any defensive metric. And Jokic is going to be one of the better defensive rebounders in the league. One of the reasons is because of their defensive coverages often try to keep him around the basket. And so he's in position to grab a lot of rebounds, but he's also just a good rebounder. And great so motor, great anticipation. Yeah. The point of defense, like you don't get a stop until you have the ball. 
And one of the reasons you had talked about this in the thread last night, Pete, but one of the ways that Denver was staying competitive in this last game is that they were really hunting offensive rebound chances against the Warriors and leveraging their size on their own backboards, right? And and so if you can't close out a possession with a defensive rebound, then good defense for 20 seconds. Let's do it again and let's do it again. And you probably are going to be giving up some kick out three where somebody's wide open. So you did all that good work, but you didn't get, Lord knows we saw plenty of possessions with the Lakers like that this year. Yeah. And, and, and so just to put a capper on Jokic's defense here, I think him being an elite defensive rebounder and him just being a massive hum, human being in the way that like Mark Gasol was right, where it's just like, OK, how many bunnies did the Warriors miss? But there's Jokic sort of like lurking and putting his arms up and just sort of bodying you in a way or invading your personal space. And you're just like, well, you got to make that six footer. OK, Yeah, six-footers become a lot harder when there's like a seven-foot-one dude who's 275 pounds just sort of in your personal space, right? And so I think that contributes to his effectiveness defensively in ways, too. I also think that that he's clever on top of all of that. So I think that's part of the love letters between him and Draymond is that, oh, I'm going to like turn into you a little bit or I'm going to anticipate what you're about to do in ways that go beyond just his size and length. But he's also a step ahead mentally, which is something that is that combination of you're big and you're skilled and you're mentally a step ahead. That's a tough dude to guard. And Mike, I'll kick this to you here because this is what I think makes AD such a special defender as well, right? When you're talking about that acumen and that that ability to make reads and the instincts that you have as a defensive player, and then you have like the elite athleticism on top of that, and you have the height and the length, and, right? And then it's and, and, and then that's what makes AD, I think, one of the best defensive players in the world. And it's why the Lakers defense wasn't as good this year, because when that dude plays 30 something games, it's just like, no, everything is built around you watching Jokic and Draymond sort of control their individual spaces within the context of of the playoffs really had me thinking about like LeBron and AD again and and just sort of that idea of of what they can do on the court and and how they also can control their personal spaces and and what makes them special. Well, let's bring AD into it cuz part of what we're talking about for me is a what is the optimal way to win an NBA basketball game and then series and then championship presuming that you have some of these best players and then what's the difference between these best players on the one hand in the Lakers hand you've got AD and LeBron and then in Denver's case you've got Jokic and next year it'll be Murray as the second best player we've gone to George and Leonard as the two I think it's still Steph and Draymond although that's been murky with Clay being hurt and then he's back and now you know Poole is starting to emerge offensively but so there's there's these it's not two- Wiggins Mike it's it's not Wiggins I, you know, he is an all-star, all-star starter, Mike. The, um, yeah, that was, that was a tough one for me for yeah, basketball. I remember, for that cares about basketball right. History. I remember, that's right. Cause you that put so much stock in the, in the awards and oh Lord, that one yeah, that's going bit. in 20 years, Mike, there's going to be yeah. like a 25 year old telling you that Andrew Wiggins was an all-star <laughs> yeah. and it's going to piss you off. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh man, sorry. So sorry for the sidetrack. It, it was one thing to kind of get the last All Star spot, which of course they're you know the, it, that wouldn't have been my choice, but to be a starter, oh man. All right, thank you for that sidetrack. I'm thinking about it. So Darius mentioned that there isn't a there isn't a perfect basketball player other than maybe you know sort of peak LeBron, maybe peak Jordan, a few of these guys in their absolute peak. Two-way, you know, Durant, Giannis at the moment. And the way that, like, if you've got, if we're assuming that you're optimizing the rest of the roster, which Denver couldn't do this year because of injuries, which the Lakers didn't do this year because of some choices, but they for the most part did when they won the title. So then what? Okay, well, then you're, you've got somewhat ideal personnel, at least that the coach can go to. Offense, defense, it works well enough. That's where, to me, LeBron and AD, that's why, like, going into that season, I was thinking, yeah, that, that should be the best team because they are the toughest to attack and they are the ones that can attack the best. Now, Jokic has made up a lot of ground, and we could have a whole other argument as to maybe he has surpassed LeBron as in terms of can he get your team a good, a great shot on every position? I don't know that for sure. Like for one game, I might still take you know bully ball LeBron if the three ball is going. But uh, Pete, jump in on that because that's that to me is like there is where do we go from here with these type of groups and how much progress has, has Jokic made offensively to the point where he you're still going to get back to that same point that I made about the defense where he you can attack him. And I don't think you can attack LeBron and, and AD like in a playoff series defensively the same way. Yeah, I think you're talking the difference between a higher ceiling with the Lakers and then a higher floor with Jokic. And the reason that I argue a higher floor is one uh, argument you've made over the last year plus, Mike, ab- about Jokic is like he's got a huge burden on him on that team to carry and to do that for 82 games across. We've basically played three seasons in like – two and a half seasons worth of time. And the big factor in these playoffs, again, that is so difficult to account for is injury and attrition. And even even in that last quarter, he kind of pulled his hammy a little bit. These playoffs have been real rough on a lot of good players' hamstrings. Um, And so that ability, Mike, for him to just be available as much as he has been over these last three seasons and never let Denver fall below a certain level. You know what I mean? That's what I mean about a certain degree of floor that helped them get to a certain point where that, that potential playoff deficiency, deficiency defensively or hole in his game in terms of his agility on the perimeter can even be a thing. So let's take another break. When we come back, we'll we'll wrap up this conversation and then we'll talk about the games coming up tonight. So Mike, in terms of like winning a championship, I think the Lakers have a, a much higher chance of doing that than a Denver team built around Jokic, not just for environmental reasons at Lakers being a free agent destination and Denver being a smaller market. They've had a couple of max guys that have missed long periods of time, but the, but also for basketball reasons, right? Jokic's presence and ability to just be there and be available raises that floor. But I think that your point about how there are some questions that the Lakers have the foundational ingredients to answer. I I think that that very much rings true. And that guys like LeBron and AD don't have as attackable of a deficiency in their game as Jokic's perimeter mo- mobility is. Yeah, man. And, and so it, it really does kind of all come back down then to that same argument of 
and we could do the same thing with guards, with small guards, which we've been talking about a lot lately. Those yeah. guys have something that you can attack. And, and oftentimes, Darius, as you've mentioned over the years, that's what these that's what these series end up being. Hey, we know we know you've got this here, but you've got to have that dude on the court and we're going to exploit it. And what are, can, is there something that you can exploit about us? Maybe not. And, and so sometimes that can be the difference. That can be the tiebreaker between these teams that are like pretty close. And and I'm just I'm curious to see now. Well, first of all, we got to have this playoff run has been great. And I'm, we continue to watch. We'll continue to cover it. But it's always in that context of how do the Lakers get back right to that point that, sure. uh, that we all want to see. Yeah. And I just think that when it comes right down to it, a team like Denver, they their best the best version of them is likely going to include a defensive guy at shooting guard. Right. Um, they've been playing Will Barton there. Um, they've been playing, they've, they've gone to like Austin rivers, some there. Right. Um, and they were at their best when it was just like, Hey, that's Gary Harris. Like, right. And they had paid Harris. Like he was going to be, um, a high level guy and his shot disappeared. Right. But a real three and D guy at shooting guard and then Gordon as that defensive sort of wing guy that can be a three or a four Porter who has physical tools. And then Murray is like the lone guy. But if he's the only guy, you can account for that being the only guy, especially if you're going to play in drop coverages because the asks are different, right? And you're going to play in drops because Jokic is going to play right below the level of the ball in a lot of actions. When you say the only guy, do you mean the only small guy amongst the group? Yeah, like the only real attackable dude from a like physical tools like, oh, you're not big enough to do something. Gotcha. Honestly, that's where the Lakers started to do things as they were just like, okay, well, when they beat the Nuggets, it was like, well, we're going to involve you two players in screen and roll, Jokic and Murray. Hopefully we're going to get a switch of some kind. And then we're going to try to attack Murray. Well, and Porter's attackable on defense for other reasons, not because of physical tools, but technique. He doesn't always yeah, yeah, recognize yes. the play and all that as well. That's right. Yeah. But he had, he was getting better, too. And I would have been very interested to see what his evolution as a defender would have looked like in this season. But yeah. a back injury that's plagued him. Let's transition, though. There's more games. The games yes, never sir. stop. Right. Basketball just keeps on going. And so what game tonight, Pete, sticks out to you the most? Which one are you most intrigued about? I've been consuming as much basketball as possible. I I was not ready for the season to end during the regular season. And so like it's it's still playoffs for us. And so that said, the Philly Toronto series, once Philly went up 3-0 and Embiid hit that shot, I was like, ah, this is over. And a lot of these games are like you got the game at four o'clock or four thirty and then another one starts at five or five thirty and then the third game is the nighttime game and a lot of times uh philly and toronto have been that in-between game these last two so i've really paid close attention to that series up until game four and then it was the i'm gonna watch this while the other games are on halftime because i think this one is over but i would love to hear your thoughts mike start with you on philly and toronto like we've never had that 3-0 comeback in nba history i was texting the other day if if it were to ever happen it would be some unholy combination of playoff doc rivers playoff james harden and even playoff joel Embiid. so i am looking with quite an amused eye but not particularly informed on how things have gone between philly and toronto so i would love to hear your thoughts on how we got here and where you think it's going 
Yeah, this has been one of the series that I have been most focused on and locked in on and really kind of enjoyed because before the series started, I thought Toronto was going to win the series. And I think a lot of people that just watched a lot of these two teams play for the last couple of not really months because Philly had that initial boost once they got hardened, but they really struggled for after you got you got your sort of week and a half or two weeks of good James Harden play and behavior. And Toronto was kind of the opposite. And they were this weird team, this fast team, this explosive team. I thought they were going to be able to wear down and bead. And we're now starting to see that. But early in the series, things got screwed up because Scotty Barnes got hurt. And just losing that one key cog, and Scotty Barnes is huge. He's when you see him in person, he's not quite LeBron big, but he's close. Like he's he's just a, a specimen. Um, and and having him somebody that can do so many things out there alongside other guys that can do some of those things, like a Siakam, like an OG Ananobi, it becomes very difficult to contend with. And but if you remove one of them, then there's just more places to attack. And Toronto has a pretty thin bench um, once you get past a couple of like the Boucher types. So he gets hurt. Fred Van Vliet is, has been banged up for the last two months. And Philly's been able to kind of exploit that in certain ways. So Fred Van Vliet gets hurt after Toronto finds a way to win game four. And then all of a sudden, it's like Philly just can't handle this combination again of basically everybody being between 6'7 and 6'9". Uh, and and fast and athletic and Harden looks like he doesn't want to be there at times, you know, and beads making the passive aggressive comments after the game about Doc Rivers should be the one talking there. And it's all of these things are trying to build where game six is in Toronto, which is going to be rabid. And and then all of a sudden you get in this. So it does. This to me seems like it's the most palatable potential comeback from a 3-0 deficit that I can remember because Usually there's a reason why teams get up 3-0 in the first place. And the team that they're up 3-0 on is not that good or something is wrong with them or they've got an injury. And in this case, so Van Vliet is still out, but I am I am giving Toronto a real shot here. I think you probably bet on Philly in one of these two games, just hitting enough shots and, you know, Hardener and Bede getting going enough to get a win. Uh, but it's a the intrigue is real. And I am not dismissing Darius the first comeback in history. Uh, and it would be it would be kind of fitting for some of the reasons Pete stated. What, what I didn't get to is that Embiid has kind of skated some on what's gone on there the last couple of years. But that's that's a whole nother topic. There's always been a bigger scapegoat in Philly than Embiid. Embiid's an excellent player. He's a top five or six or seven player in the league he was he'll probably finish either first or second in the mvp ballot he's great he also has potentially a torn thumb ligament in his shooting hand and so like look you hit a game winner and then now suddenly your production is going to drop off because maybe you can't actually shoot as well as your thumb is pretty important also, too, Mike, the point that you were making about Van Vliet is Van Vliet is such like he is my type of dude. He is just a scrapper. Um, he has fought for everything that he's gotten in this league. And now he's on a contract that he earned by being one of those dudes that's just going to give you everything he has. And Van Vliet isn't the classic small guard, particularly defensively, because he will hold up there. But offensively, he is a small guard. And 
the ability to challenge him on his shots, especially when he's bang banged up, it becomes easier. And so he's not been playing well offensively this series at all. And so you remove that part of things and you reallocate his possessions to like bigger wings who have an easier job of getting the types of shots that are more makeable. And then you have this game in Toronto, Mike, where Matisse Thibel can't play and he's their other best perimeter defender and, and one of their better athletes. And Pete, before the playoffs started and we talked about Philly, this goes back to what they were in the regular season even. One of the things that we talked about is like, where are the athletes on this team? right? They're more of a lumbering group. And one of the ways that they weren't that was, okay, well, we've got Tybal, um, we've got Maxi, right? You've got Embiid. It's just like, oh, okay, well, when you don't have Tybal, it's just like, okay, well, who are you replacing him with? Like, you're going back to Pete's old dude, Danny Green, Right now, Danny Green can be a capable player, but I think he's not he going to be like 39 minutes. He's not going to be a capable player want. at 39 minutes. It's a Pete, big ask. That's a giant ask for him. Especially and that, was with Ibel, that was with Ibel available. That's yeah. right. And that's to Mike's point about the rangy wings. That's an athletic deficit that a guy like Green is going to face within that is like you're you have to run and jump with with a Scotty Barnes, with a Siakam, even on, on switches, on box outs, run the floor with them and, and all of that. D. So that is something that I'm I, I can like I do see this going back to seven at the at very least. It's very tricky. And then, you know, look, the juju. The Glen Rivers juju. Yeah. <laughs> right? Whether or not it's real or not, he's getting asked about it pre-game. And he's going on the defensive about his postseason coaching record. And honestly, misremembering years of who won the championship and thinking that he lost to a title team when he didn't. Sorry, you didn't blow a 3-1 lead against the eventual champion Detroit Pistons. You blew a 3-1 lead to the Pistons that got swept in uh, the conference finals. So sorry, Glenn. You missed out on that one. So when it comes right down to it, Mike, like this is stuff that's sort of in the in the air there. And maybe people are starting to feel it a little bit. So this is very anecdotal and and just kind of me hearing things. And and I would defer to some of the beat writers that have covered, you know, Rivers teams. But I think a couple of themes maybe. And so Doc can be really good at kind of the, the motivational speech and kind of like the the rah rah like let's let's all get going and i think that sometimes though the problem is with that kind of motivation is if you if you do hit a rut or a wall or something then you can't just go back to that motivational speech again right that's when the guy the coach like vogel who isn't necessarily going to you know stand up like william wallace up on a hill and like rally the scots you know to go take out the english nobles but is hey guys here's exactly how we're going to do it today and again, it's not saying that, that Rivers doesn't do that either, but just those those styles sometimes, I think, over the course of a series can make a difference. And so that's where I wonder, what does Philly sort of go to at this point? Like, what does what does he go in there and say? Meanwhile, like Embiid's already annoyed with Harden. You know, they don't necessarily like Maxi has has been great, but he's also kind of full, he's about he's doing as much as he possibly can. And Toronto now knows what that is. So. It's that's why it's it's especially intriguing to me. And I agree with Pete. Like, I think we definitely go back to Philly for game seven. But um, it's it's more just like, hey, Embiid, 
and Harden, go win this game for us. As opposed to this is how we want to tra- uh, attack and exploit this specific Raptors team, which is a, a weird team to play against. One of the through lines of Doc Rivers teams that have that have collapsed or even I even count them blowing a 3-2 lead against us in 2010. They were up 3-2 going into game six. I know it was on the road, but Doc Rivers will stick with what he does. He's like, this is what we do. This is our game plan against this team. And this is a longer conversation to be had. But one of the things that I've really enjoyed about the last three to five years, especially of the NBA, is there are so many more micro decisions that are happening. There's so many more like one of the ways that Golden State like there was a stretch of that game last night against Denver where it was like. Denver's pretty much getting whatever they want on offense because they're bullying or they're getting offensive rebounds, but they're scoring pretty much every play. And then Golden State switches to a 1-2-2 zone. And that's not something that used to happen, like these little changes of, oh, against this lineup, we're going to go to a zone or we're going to pick up full court. And there's much more of, of a diversity in coverages and like what we do, quote unquote for any given team is not as narrow as it used to be. And this is in some ways, one of my complaints about this year's Lakers team, right? Is that like, we needed a zone look, you know, like yeah. real quick point about that game seven, you just talked about in 2010 series, like, and I've said this before on this podcast, but them being forced to go to Rashid Wallace at the five, like a space scoring five instead of Kendrick yeah. Perkins. I like that's a, that was a massive change that I actually thought helped Boston for the first half, even if, you know, th- their argument's going to be, yeah, but it eventually weakened us on the boards and inside. But, like, to me, that was not a game where you would have really wanted Kendrick Perkins to the same extent as you would have wanted somebody like Red Riggs, like Sheed. And that was that never would have happened if Perkins was healthy. 100%. 100%. And that is, and so that is very much Rivers' mentality toward these types of series. And so what ends up happening in a lot of those is, they go up because they do have a good game plan to start out with, but the other team adjusts if they're capable and molds to what the other team or to, to what his team is doing. And then he's like, well, let's just do what we're doing, but do it better. And again, that motivational, uh, and I, that has its own like upside and downside to it too. I see a guy like Willie Green or Mike Malone, I thought had his team very motivated. That's why they were able to fight uh, Udoka. Like there are plenty of guys who I, I'm seeing that are capable of doing both. And so in terms of what I want our next coach to be, like we're the Lakers, we're the Lakers. We should have somebody who's capable of of giving that speech and being able to sustain that fire, but also being able to make this these micro yeah. uh, adjustments, D, that we're seeing more and more throughout the NBA. Yeah, the blend of, of tactics and, and motivation is super important. Um, so... There's two other games. We're not going to get into a bunch of the stuff around those games, but sounds like you both have Toronto winning to force a game seven. Of the other two games, do you see other game sevens on the horizon, or do you think that these are getting closed out? Not for Dallas and Utah. I don't. I, I assume we agree there, Pete. But I think I think Pelicans have a chance. They win a game yeah. six. I I think that's one thing I'm looking for tonight. Is I think that. Phoenix solved the defensive puzzle on the Pelicans enough to where I think both of those series end tonight. Where are you at on that, D? I'm skeptical on Utah being able to do anything, but we'll see. The closeout game is always super hard to win. We saw that with the Warriors. They struggled for a long time to close out that Denver team. The Pelicans game, I am giving the Pelicans a real puncher's chance. I like CJ. 
as sort of a big game sort of player. I think that he's got some shot making in in him. And I think B.I. is going to play better than he did before. It's probably going to come down to the margins again, like who, which one of these role players plays well, right? And if it's and if it's Bridges again, who shoots 75% from the field and Cam Johnson, and those guys have pedigree and they were in the finals last year. And so you might expect them to actually do it. But if it's one of those games where Trey Murphy's like, yeah, guess what? I'm five for eight from three. And Alvarado hits a couple of threes. And Valanchunas has a 20-point, 15-rebound game. Like, none of those things seem out of the question to me, right? And again, I mentioned this the last pod, but is this, do we start to see Chris Paul wear, will wear down? He looked worn down at the end of the last game. He looked like, thank goodness we won this game, right? And so if Alvarado matches Chris Paul, if Chris Paul has to play 35 plus minutes and in 25 of those, Alvarado is in the game and just being like, I'm pushing, I'm picking you up full court, right? Well, and it's Herb Jones too, right? Which is yeah. a completely different problem. You got this long ranging guy with motor uh, as well. So you're dealing with something the entire game. But I'm just saying, it's just like, like, yeah, even if you end up, sort of alternating and finding ways to get Jones onto Paul in the half court, but having Alvarado just basically pressure his dribble as much as he can. Yeah. Right. Like there are little tactics. You talked about the tactics just, just a minute ago. There are still little tactics that I see that could influence the direction of the game. And, and that's where I'm sort of at with the Pelicans. If the Suns win, no surprise. But I think the Pelicans have a real puncher's chance. Agreed. And the only other thing I'd add, and maybe the difference between in all these series, like Toronto and New Orleans to me are more similar, and that they like they're about it right now. You can see in their eyes though they're excited to play these games. Mm-hmm. And Utah has not looked like that, right? They they did rally mm-hmm. a little bit in game four, but we've seen that we've seen that for a while now. The the chemistry and the mix just isn't there. Take the talent out, take the game plan, take the scheme. That stuff matters in game six and game seven. Right. Your heart, your unity. And and those that to me is the difference in why the Pelicans and the Raptors, while inferior in talent, have a chance and why I'd be surprised if Utah won, even though it's at home. And and that, that would be the way I would define all that. That's well said. There's a, a noticeable difference in juice between each of those teams. So uh, this has been great. I've really loved talking uh, about the entire NBA with you guys in these playoffs. Uh, got that trio of game sixes tonight. We'll be back to cover that and maybe preview a little bit of the Boston and Bucks series in round two tomorrow. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around right. for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you that's kidding it. me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddie pass. And it's back to a three-point game.
Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.